Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. As per the usual, we have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Roos. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as quite literally everybody else. We hope you're liking the podcast, and if so, maybe consider becoming a Patreon of the 12-Sided Guys by going to patreon.com slash 12-Sided Guys. That's one, two, Sided Guys. We've got some extra audio on there and even a wiki with maps and descriptions, which I've been putting together to help me keep everything straight. That even means you can see the maps we've been using during battles. And if that's not for you, but you still want to show us some love, there's an option for that too. And if you're like me and the half snake wizard blue gave you funny feelings as a kid, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 10. A thin, unassuming older man hustles through the long corridor made of stone. This portion of Tabery Keep has been somewhat restored, its mortar replaced and new carpets lie upon the floor. But Magister Colbury, the imperial representative over the city of Tabery and its environs, notices none of this. He mutters under his breath as he passes door after door, a scowl drawn tight across his face. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Repeated as if a special mantra. At the end of the hall, he finds the door he is looking for. He glances left and right, making sure he's not seen. But this part of the keep is empty. Anyone of importance already gone with Chancellor Ramsay or still down in the gallows square watching the debacle that is at this moment still taking place. He pushes open the door and enters his small, unassuming study. A desk cleared of everything but a quill, ink pot, and ledger dominates the room. A tall stand lamp is situated just to the left of the chair tucked under the desk, the glow coming from underneath its metal shade a solid, unwavering yellow, it being the only visible crystal tech in the room. A tall, thin bookshelf is tucked into the corner, containing similar ledgers to the one currently on the desk. Colbury waves his hand, dispelling the illusion on the lower third of the bookshelf, revealing instead a large leather-bound tome and carpet bag. Colbury lifts the bag off the shelf, opens it, and produces a dark purple cloak, which he drapes over his shoulders, all the while repeating, Damn it, damn it, damn it. The ink pot and quill are then unceremoniously dumped into the bag, followed slightly more reverently by the leather-bound book. Then, leaving the bag open on the desk, Colbury lifts the lamp and, as if he were some sort of magical British nanny, deposits it into the bag, its interior seemingly much more voluminous than its exterior. Closing the bag, Colbury grabs it in one hand, kicks the desk chair over out of the way, and pulls back a patch of carpet revealing a trap door. He opens it into darkness, the stale scent of long enclosed spaces wafting out. With one last look around the room, Magister Colbury sets his shoulders and shouts, Damn it! He descends through the trap door into darkness. As his head clears the opening, some magical force pulls the door closed, stretches the carpet back into place, and raises the chair up to its original position behind the desk, leaving no trace of the room's former inhabitant. As all of this is going on in Tabory Keep, our vision goes back to Gallows Square, where more important things are taking place. Ma'am, we found him. The priestess of Iremil turns to glare at the soldier that addresses her. A wave of nausea washes over her from the movement, but she suppresses the desire to vomit. Her head aches and her muscles are sore, but the cuts and wounds she suffered have since scabbed over and healed thanks to the attention of the priestess of Irdas in her white robe and headdress. And, she demands, It's not good, ma'am, the imperial soldier states. 
a look of unease and fear flashing across his face. You'd best come see for yourself before the locals get to Gawkin. The soldier waits uneasily for the priestess of Iramil to stand. As she rises, her feet feel unsteady beneath her. A concussion, she muses to herself, nothing more. She motions for the soldier to lead the way. As she follows, she tries to hide her disdain for this man. Obviously not a native Almarian, what with his accent and mannerisms, a bastard child of the Empire, in her opinion. Most of the soldiers in Rolf's commandeered battalion were of Liren stock, she knew, but this soldier carries the Ustranian accent indicative of the Thistle, Fayhurst, and Arcolby provinces. The soldier leads her out of the gallows square and into an alley. The path is easy enough to follow, a trail of blood painting the cobblestones. There, left in an unnatural position, lies Adjudicator Rolf, the youngest and newest adjudicator in the Almarian Empire. There's no sign of his sword or his gray officer's jacket. Now there's a vacancy in the exclusive club of adjudicators, she thinks to herself. I wonder who the other five will pick to fill the slot. She had no feelings for adjudicator Rolf, one way or the other, yet her anger rose. This man, as sloppy a soldier as he was, still spoke with the emperor's voice, and his edicts became law. An attack on him is an attack on the emperor himself. This cannot stand. As she rises from checking the body of Adjudicator Rolf, she barks out, What of the assailants, the old man with the notched ear, and the large woman, or the deacon that seems to have sided with the enemy? Any signs? The soldier shakes his head no. And what of the captive who is to be hanged? Surely he must have turned up. The soldier looks down, embarrassed. No, ma'am. It seems he's gotten away as well. Folks are saying it were fallen heaven what helped him escape. The priestess's cheeks begin to flush with rage. How could it have all gone so wrong? Her mind races as she furiously considers how to break the news to her superiors. Heads would roll, possibly even hers. Damn you, fallen heaven, she curses. Scour the city, no stone unturned. Knock every door, recruit the constabulary. Every soldier that is left is going to find fallen heaven and the escaped captive. As an afterthought, she says, and bring me the adjudicator's sword as well. It must be returned to the Tower of Judgment. The soldier takes a step back, his eyes downcast. Uh, ma'am, he stutters. The, the sword is gone, too. Feeling like someone punched her right between the eyes, the priestess staggers to one knee. Too much. It's all just too much. The loss of the captive and the intervention of fallen heaven is sure to get the Empire's attention but the death of an adjudicator and, more importantly, the loss of his weapon will assuredly bring down the eye of judgment upon everyone involved. Later that evening, in the woods outside of the city of Tabori, just a few hours' hike from the city walls, we see a group of four individuals making a cold camp for the night, and by the light of a, I guess, a tiny crystal, we see a red Pine, candle. the oldest member. A red oh, candle. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> By the light of a red candle, we see Pine, the oldest member of this group, scrawling a letter. Dear Bert, I would be lying if I started by saying that I hoped this letter found you well. To be honest, I hope this letter doesn't find you at all. It would mean that you were away from Tabury and the danger into which my friendship has placed you. 
As you had no doubt surmised, I was the one responsible for the anti-imperial publications around Tabury. I gather that you knew this and offered yourself in my place, both to end the suffering of the people under Adjudicator Rolf's edict and to protect me. It saddens me greatly to know that you suffered torture intended for me. You are undoubtedly the truest friend, Bert. Much has transpired since you allowed me passage out of the city. With little time to enact a plan after the surprise arrival of the Empire, my colleagues and I planted false evidence that was reported back to the forces in Tabury. This led Chancellor Ramsay to take most of the Imperial forces into the wilderness, chasing a trail laid by fallen heaven. With the Imperial forces thus divided, we enacted the second part of our plan, to unite the people of Tabury and to free you. Many of the people of Tabury came out to oppose your unjust execution, and fallen heaven supported Tabury as her rage at the Empire boiled over. I regret to inform you that many of your brothers and sisters of the Constabulary were... Mm, conflicted and did not rise. The same cannot be said for much of the rest of Tabury's citizenry. At the signal of the burning gallows and fallen heaven's call to resist, the layperson took up arms against the trained soldier and mechanical warrior. Within the melee, my party and I faced off against the adjudicator and his retinue. Some of his force we put to sleep. The priestess of Iremil caused great destruction in our ranks, but ultimately she succumbed to our spiritual allies and a well-placed axe. As you've no doubt heard, Adjudicator Rolf fell in the battle and is dead. He was a formidable foe and seemed to know my reputation. Routed, he fell to fire as he attempted to flee. Tabury has thrown off the Empire for a time, but know that the Empire will catch news of what has happened here and retaliate. Add to that the fact that, though Tabury has rejected Imperial rule, Assuredly, not all of her citizens support rebellion. Sadly, Tabury is not safe for you or me any longer. I'm leaving with allies to rendezvous with Fallen Heaven and reconnoiter the forces of Chancellor Ramsay. I feel that this shall be my fight until my final breath. May it be long in arriving. I regret that these are not words I could share in person, but I hope by them I can express to you my deepest gratitude, undying friendship, and love should you chance to read them. I, your friend, and ever to be, by the grace of the lords and ladies, whoever have you in their keeping, etc., etc., pine. That was a lot of reading here at the beginning, but I feel like it was important stuff to be uh, to be read. Okay, so we can jump in now. So you, what you're saying is, is uh, what's his face? Um, the uh, the adjudicator? No, no, the the guy Colbury? who the, Colbury. Colbury. You're you're saying that Colbury is Mary Poppins. What I'm saying is that the most boring character in the game so far may not have been as boring as you thought. Okay. But your characters don't know that. So, Pine, you finish writing up your letter, you put your things away, and here we have a, uh, a cold, quiet camp off the side of the road, uh, kind of in, the, in a thicket away from prying eyes as the four of you decide what you are going to do. What are we going to do? Well, that's a fantastic question. Um, I suppose, I believe that we are still, wait, let me jump out of character real quickly. To recap from last time, did we end up getting a long rest at the end? I feel like we didn't quite get to that point. No, we did not. This would be the long rest time. Um, also, um, just a, a heads up, um, Just I'm going to make a mention of this, that um, you have a, a cell stone. 
um, to let Fallen Heaven know what is going on, if that is something you guys would like to do, considering that now half of the forces of Tabri are coming looking for them. Ooh, yeah. That's not a one one time use item, right? It's a one time per day. So the way it works is you can use it to contact the other person with the stone and they can respond. And then they can also use it one time to contact you and you can respond. So it's like two different sending spells, but one from each end. Got it. Is there like a cap to how many words can be spoken? 25 words, yes. Got it. And so the way that I've always played it is that the sending is 25 words. You can pick what you're going to say beforehand, write it all out. But then when you say it, that's it. The response is literally the next 25 words that the other person says. Unless they stop it early. So like if you get ascending and then you say, hey, guys, I just got ascending. What should I say? There goes some of your words. Because I like to be a butthead sometimes. Oh, you're going to be like that. <laughs> I like to, it makes it more fun. I don't know. <laughs> I think it makes it more fun. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't show up in the middle of a conversation and you like it's the response starts with the last half of a sentence. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing if I was singing on the toilet when I got a sending spell. Hmm. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> to bring the sugar and tea and oh, wait, oh, crap. Oh, let me respond. <laughs> the first bit is just like, you know, urine <laughs> splashing in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh, <laughs> Does right. nobody else sing sea shanties when they're going to the bathroom? Is that just me? I thought we're all singing cheese sea shanties now. I think so, right? That's the that's like yeah. the flavor of the month right now. It's it's the thing that's hot in this COVID month. <laughs> About darn time, too. You know, <laughs> a year ago it was Tiger King, but here we are. <laughs> I don't know what's better or worse. I should say. <laughs> all right so what do you guys want to do i think last time you guys had talked about possibly going and seeing if you could interfere with uh with uh the imperial forces going after fallen heaven mm -hmm. or help out i don't know if that's what you still wanted to do well i think the first thing to do would be to contact um fallen heaven and let them know what's happened in tabory and that they get all the credit <laughs> 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 yes, I think that that would be a really good idea. <laughs> Ta-da! You guys did this. <laughs> Surprise! I think they'll be. I think they'll be pleased. Honestly, I mean it's it is a a large burden, but it's also a burden that Fallen Heaven has been eager to take on for some time now. Well, based on our conversations with Kira as well, it might be good for them to hear that they have more allies than they would assume. Well, and to build their clout, too. Absolutely. Agreed. Yes, it seemed that they were quite concerned that it was a dwindling or, or almost a lost cause. Well, Nari, you have the, the cell stone. Is that what it's called? Cell stone? Yes. I don't yes. understand all this newfangled crystal tech. Maybe you should <laughs> call Kira and let her know what happened. Yeah, so Nari will pull out the stone and kind of just flip it over and, and play around with it and try to figure out how it works. Tap it a little bit and say, hi, Kira. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Okay, that's like eight words down. 
Are you there? Can you hear me now? If Pine, that's if actually, Pine that's actually 10 it, words down. If Pine was doing it, it'd be like, four, four, three, 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 five, 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 six, six, six. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Nari will say, we've driven the Empire and most of their troops out of Tabory. What are your instructions for next steps? Okay. As you hold the crystal in your hand and you start to, you just, you're not exactly sure how it works, but as you think of, okay, I want this thing to work, it starts to glow brighter in your hand. And then you know that it's active. Okay, so you say those words into the crystal and the crystal then goes dim. And you get uh, you get a response. It is Kira's voice that comes to your mind. So the only one who can hear this is Nari. The voice you hear says. I'm glad your plan worked so far, but it's not over. We need confirmation. The bait was taken. Can you check the cave for us? So I will relay that to, or so that was the end of the messages then. Yep. So now you day. can't send another message until tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'll just relay that to everyone else. Yeah. Or if she wanted to send us a message and then we could reply back to that, right? She could do that. So, um, yeah. Okay. We'll say you get another message now that says, sorry, I forgot how this thing works. You can reply back now. <laughs> so now you've got 25 words, Nari, to respond back to Kira. We will check the cave. By the way, the Empire does believe fallen heaven to be responsible for Tabory. Tell her adjudicator Rolf died. Adjudicator Rolf is dead. I think that's got to be it. That's about it. Is that 25 words? I think I, so. I, I, quit, I lost track. That's, we'll say that's 25 I words. I counted like 22, but we're, we're good. How about good enough. Wouldn't that be awesome if it was just Adjudicator Rolf is? <laughs> <laughs> good night. Love you. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to get used to like almost like having it be like a telegram thing where it's like, stop, adjudicator, dead, stop, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so she asked you to check out the cave. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like as good a plan as any. Should we try to get as much headway this evening as we can towards the cave, or, or, or what's everyone's preference? How's everyone feeling? To be honest, I, well, I think I'll be okay. If, if need be, I can, I can restore myself a bit. But if anybody needs more healing, I, I do have a, a pool of morale I can share. I'm good to start marching, but I don't know. I'm not eager to get into that cave, especially since we just sent all those men and deacons out that way. If we're going to go back and explore this cave, perhaps we should go through the tunnels under the, the Shrine of Moshe and come through the back way. Paul, that's a, good, that's a good point. Did we make better time going through the Shrine or coming back directly? 
if you think about it, you figure, okay, so it's right about the same amount of time, but it's two different roads. So one road goes pretty much straight north to Mount Tabory, or sorry, to Mount Tabor. And that's the one that is that has the um, that has the shrine on it. The other road kind of connects to that road, but it, it branches further out, it branches off to the east and it goes up a different way, but they're about the same distance. So you can go straight north or you can kind of branch off to the east. Either way, it's going to be, if you were to, um, basically, if you were to give it two full days, you would arrive at the Fallen Heaven cave at like dusk on the second day. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Quick, quick question. When we divulged this information, was there a specific path that we told them to follow or just gave them the location of it? So Roos drew on a map. In, in Roos's conversation with Rolf, I didn't say anything about Moshe's shrine. I just gave directions to the cave. So they wouldn't have any reason to go a long way around. I guess I would, I'd be worried going through the shrine, and I know we tried to disguise the wall again, but I don't know if it would stand up to very thorough investigation of multiple soldiers looking for any evidence of a fallen heaven. We, might have, we may have sucked at, at hiding our path. <laughs> <laughs> it may be better to rest tonight than to give them a little bit of a head start before we you know, march out and catch up with them. That's true. If we're we gonna are... ha- If we're going to have to travel the same road. That's true. We are a smaller group, so we probably would make better time than, than the larger body of soldiers. So, um, so Matt, to answer your question, what Pine said, that is true. They very well may discover that fallen wall. However, you guys were very careful to, to block it back up as, as best as possible because you knew that they'd be coming when you guys did that. So, you know, it's it's better than if you just like kind of put a couple of branches in front of it or something. Okay. Here's, here's my thought. If we get back through on the, the Lord Moshe shrine route, we get to the other side of that cave. I can send Gigi through a small crack. She can poke her head around and see what she finds before we all go into this blind. That's a good call. I think that that's fair. I'd be for that as well. She's she's pretty good at, at telling me how she feels, and and when she comes back to me, she'll she, I'll get a good idea for what she saw. Yeah, and they won't have you know gone through that tunnel quickly and at all, so we'll be able to make it all the way there pretty much. So yeah, I think that's great. And the good news is we've already killed all the spiders, right, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be using my character voice for out of character stuff. I was going to say, does that count as breaking the fourth wall? If I address the DM, I dig it. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great idea. Just, just a quick reminder that the uh, the forces with with Chancellor Ramsey do have a full day's march on you. They left this morning. It is now evening. And as they were leaving town, you saw them all on foot, but you don't know if they were mounted or what. You don't know um, kind of what their situation was. So. Who knows who will get there first? Did we get a sense for which direction they were leaving the city from? Um, I believe, I believe, so here, I'm going to, I don't like to retcon things, but I believe in listening back to the episode, I said they went out the 
west gate, but they actually went out the east gate, if that okay. makes any sense. So, so sorry, everybody who's trying to keep a mental picture in your head. When Chancellor Ramsey left the city and took over half of the forces, uh, the Imperial forces with him, they went out the east gate, out the forest gate. Is that right? The forest gate? <laughs> yeah, because yes. the, the, yep. the other gate was the iron gate, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. Very good. We're good. Okay. But um, I was going to say, though, Paul, um, I remember in the description um, of the path back from the cave, there was a ridge. You said that yes. you traveled along a ridge. Would that be a narrow cho choke point that might slow them down? It, it could be. I mean, there were places along the ridge where, um, you know, you're walking kind of along. A, it's like a a cliff going up the side on on uh, on the north side and on the south side it's a cliff going down mm -hmm. um and it's probably i mean it's not like super narrow it's not like a five foot wide track but it's probably like 20 feet 30 feet wide um at okay. the uh at the thinnest so yeah i mean it, it could possibly be a choke point yeah Ooh. well not that i want to take them all on but that would be the strategic place well, and imagine if I were to drop Dardriel's eye right on them while they're in the choke point. And I could grease up the, the walkway. Maybe they'll start slipping off the edge. And I could throw rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and my axe. <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then are you, are you guys going to camp for the night? Was that your plan? Or are you guys going to start heading out one way or the other? Well, so mechanically speaking, Paul, if we mm -hmm. were to start marching tonight, we could pro we would risk exhaustion, correct? That is true, yes. Okay. My vote is for sleep. I think that's the wise course. Yeah, I think we can just sleep. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Why don't we get some shut-eye? Then we leave as soon as we can, make straight for the shrine, and see how far we can get tomorrow. Yeah, let's head out at first light. Yes, rest well, my companions. I'll keep an eye. All right, everyone, we're snuggling. No fire tonight. <laughs> everyone but Ebby. Oh. Ebby can snuggle. He's just got to keep watch. Yeah, but... His metal's too cold for me to snuggle. If Ebby just put that just put that, that fur you put around you when you turn into a wolf. Put that around you and it'll be okay. Come on. Yeah. Cuddle pile. <laughs> Careful, someone's getting tickles. Sorry, that was that was Paul pretending to be pine. So that was not pine. <laughs> but pine would totally say that. <laughs> uh, well, All right. okay. okay. Okay, so you guys all snuggle up together, keep nice and tight, nice and warm. Um, you, you, you're not. There's no fire. You put the red candle out. Ebby, you are staying awake and alert. Why don't you go ahead and make a survival check or a perception check, whichever you want to do for the night for keeping watch. I'll do survival. Okay, I got a twenty, not natural twenty. Nice. Okay, as you are. Uh, laying there, or you're sitting, I'm guessing, uh, so you can kind of keep an eye out and glance over the bushes and through the trees and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, you, that was survival? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you don't hear any noise coming up or down the road, which is kind of your concern. You do hear in the distance some uh, animals, some howls of 
what you assume are wolves, actually what you would know are wolves. You also hear some other animals that you're not quite sure what they are, but um, they are, it sounds like predators. You uh, you can just kind of tell by the noises that, that these animals make uh, what they're doing. And you can hear um, in the distance what sounds like something relatively big and uh, it's growl. Uh, you just know instinctively that it is, um, it is communicating back and forth with another of its kind and they are, they are tracking something. Um, it seems though that they are not tracking you. It is going a different way, but, um, the, your survival check was a 20. You can tell just from the, the, the way that the throat, um, like the, the, gurgle in the throat and the kind of the raspiness of the growl, um, that these are some kind of large cats moving around in the woods, hunting something, but it seems like they're going away from you. Um, and, uh, they do seem just from the, the pitch of the, of the, of their voices, if you will, that, um, they are big and they very well may be dangerous. So when you said there are predators in the forest, I was like, oh, no, there's predators in the forest. Quick, cover yourselves in mud to hide from the heat vision. (laughs) Do these cats have dreadlocks? (laughs) Uh, Make yourself a bow with an arrow that when you shoot it, you can tell that it falls straight down. But still somehow in the movie, it makes a big explosion. (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's move along. Okay, so the night passes, though. That happens sometime around like two or three in the morning. Uh, and then gradually the clouds move in. It starts to drizzle on you guys a little bit. Sleeping gets a little bit more uncomfortable. You stay warm. Um, and then the first light peeks up over the over the mountains. And uh, it is dawn. And everybody wakes up. Do, 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 do. That's in the public domain, so we can have that music, as long as we're the ones singing it. Heck yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we wake up. I I recommend we eat some rations on the way. Yes, I think. Yeah, let's uh, get started. Get moving. Sounds fair. Let's uh, let's hit the road. All right. You guys start heading then. um, You're you're heading to the shrine. So you start heading north. Uh, along the road, it seems like quite some time ago that you actually took this path, um, but it really was only about what, like a week ago. Um, you uh, last time you left the city, you guys left right around a little after noon, um, but now you're leaving at dawn, so you have like an extra four hours of travel uh, before um, uh, it, everything seems a little different. You're seeing it a little bit earlier in the day, um, but as you walk along, you can see that it's starting to drizzle and rain. The road, the path that you're on is getting more muddy. Your boots are squelching in the mud. Um, it is kind of a, a miserable day. Um, why don't you guys make survival checks as you guys are traveling up this road? Okay, Pine rolled a six. Ah. Ooh, nat 20. Roos got a 16. Ebby got a nat 20. Roos is specifically looking for that log that we left in the middle of the road so that we can move it out of the way. Okay. Uh, Nari rolled a twenty-two. So, so, so the poor showing from from Pine. Everybody else did great. Everybody else is doing fantastic. You know, Pine. They help you along. The problem I think that Pine is having is walking through all this downpour and this mud. Is that your cane that you do use uh, for some support and stability? Not you know, not as much as maybe 
you um, you used to as you're kind of uh, regaining a little bit of your vim and vigor. Uh, it's just it sinks into the mud. It's just kind of hard going, um, but everybody else kind of helps you along, um, not in like a pandering way or anything, but you guys manage to make pretty good time. Um, after a while, you guys find, I mean, they were talking hours, right around one o'clock in the afternoon, you guys come to the spot where you remember camping with uh, Gerard for the night. Um, you can still see a little bit of like the, the, the place where Porthos laid down, where, you know, he kind of like smashed the, the grass where he was laying. It's still a little bit smashed down. Um, but other than that, um, there's also um, a little pile of his refuse that you, uh, that uh, you can see that helps remind you of, of him as well. You pass by the campsite that you did earlier. Um, and as you continue up the road, uh, it's, it's starting to get a little bit dark by the time you come to the place where you remember getting attacked by the, the gobloids. Um, you do see, in fact, that log is still across the road where you left it. Well, should we move it out of the way? The, the road's clear. Yes, I'm for that, yes. I just hate for another traveler with a wagon to come up on this and just have a hard time getting around it. I'll help, too. Ebby will help. Yeah, Nari can throw her weight in there as well. Uh, let's be honest. I think we're all going to be helping Nari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't you guys all? Why don't you guys all uh, help uh, help Nari? Nari, why don't you make a strength check with advantage? All right, I got nat twenty. Ooh, nice. A natural twenty. All right, it is. I, I mean, that this... log. I javelined it. <laughs> <laughs> you you caber tossed it. Um, yeah, this is a this is a, not so much a log as a tree. Um, if, as you recall, like the roots were still sticking up in the air and um, uh, it was quite large. It was probably about 15, 20 feet long. But you guys managed to not so much lift it and hurl it, but you you move it and you move it with relative ease until you actually get the road clear. And you see that it's about, you know, the road is right at this point is about 10 feet wide, um, big enough for a wagon to to move through. Um yeah, and then uh, it is starting to get dark. So you know that if you were to keep pushing on, it'd be about another four hours before you got to the shrine. So what do you guys want to do? How do you all feel about pushing on to the shrine, or should we make camp for the night? I think we should push on. Yeah, we can head on to the shrine and, and sleep under under that uh, open roof. Okay. I'm hesitant, but Okay. Time is of the essence. I'd rather not be woken up by rain again. I hardly slept last night. If we do make good time, perhaps there's going to be a way that we could set up some means of spying on the Imperials when they get to the cave. I'm assuming if we make good time, we might be able to beat them there. That's a good idea. So I guess we'll just keep going forward then? Yeah. Okay, so as you guys continue to push on through, um, the the sky gets darker, the trees, um, it gets really dark there on the road because of all the trees. But as you continue to climb higher, you remember that there's meadows and things that you'll pass through and it gets a little bit easier to see, but it is also clouded um, tonight. Um, it's not raining and drizzling like it was before, um, which is probably a good thing because you're getting up there where it feels like it's cold enough to actually snow. As you continue on through the night, um, going gets a little bit slower, and the four hours that it 
should have taken you ends up turning into about six. Um, but around midnight, you can see the shape of the shrine up ahead. Um, you guys can make perception checks. With disadvantage for anyone without dark vision. Pine rolled a 20. No, Ooh. that was Nari. Pine rolled a six. Wait, no, Pine rolled 11. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> All these numbers keep coming in while I'm trying to read a number. Uh, Pine rolled an 11. <laughs> Nari did roll a 20. And she rolled with disadvantage, but then she got a 21. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Wow, yeah. Ebby, you rolled a six. Oh Roos got a whopping four. Nice. All right. So um, the two people with night vision are looking at like, don't worry, we can we can see what's going on. And then uh, Nari, you just have this uh, this innate sense of this is an empty building. There's nobody here. You know the mountains. You know, um, I mean, this you were not here, but you were raised in these in these mountains, these uh, uh, the glass mountains. And um, you just you can tell that right now nothing is around. Um, you see the shrine up ahead with its stairways and its um, columns. You can even see the tree uh, in the middle of the shrine, um, just the shadow of it. Um, but uh, it looks like nobody's here. Uh, as you approach the shrine, well, actually, I'll, I won't tell you you approach the shrine. Do you approach the shrine? Uh, I think that uh, Pine is like, hallelujah. Hallelujah! We're finally sheltered and I can sleep. Yeah, I think Pine's cool with just marching right up there. He'll be bait. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll let everyone know that you know I don't see anything. It looks like it's it's pretty abandoned. All right. Hey, so Pine, you go marching up into the shrine uh, with your perception check of an eleven. You don't see any um, any uh, uh, anybody uh, in here. It looks like it's probably hasn't been used since you guys were here. Uh, you do see that like uh, the 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 stonework around the planter with the tree in the middle, um, that that stonework is a little bit wet, but there are uh, sufficient corners in here where you can find a place to camp and stay dry. As you recall, there's a roof over the tree, but the tree, the part of the roof over the tree is actually like a, um, it's, there's a circle cut out of the roof to allow rain and sun to, to take care of this tree. So you guys can camp here for the night. Um, as I recall, last time you guys moved the gobloids and hobloids and the bogloid kind of off the road and out of the shrine into the bushes, I, I imagine, right? Yeah, quite a ways away, actually. Okay. All right. So you guys are going to set up a camp. Should we, um, should we hazard fire? I'm pretty cold. Well, I suppose we could. It's it is a bit chilly for you, isn't it? My my entire body is numb. Yes. Well, let's let's get a bonfire going then. I'll, I'll grab like some wood and things and just start, or Ebby will start grabbing some wood rather and bringing it up onto the platform. You have to go search for a while uh, to find some dry enough. Um, I mean, you can burn wet wood. That is true. So um, yeah, you, you managed to find some kindling and some and some wood. Make a survival check. We'll see how well that goes. Come on, survival. Ooh, 15. 15. Yeah, we'll say that's good enough. It, you're, you're gone for quite some time, probably like a half an hour trying to find enough. But by the time you get back, it's around 1230. People are pretty tired. You guys have been walking all day. Um, 
and uh, you can get a uh, a fire going. Um, it's it's quite smoky and small because just the wood is it's hard to get it to catch at first. But you do manage to get a fire, and people do start to warm up. Well, I'll use I'll use my create bonfire cantrip on it to see if that helps get it stoked up a little bit better. You get out your flint and steel, and you start to strike it, and then you cast create bonfire and you're like hey there you go i'm really good with this flint and steel everyone's really <laughs> impressed with your skill with a uh with the flint and steel works every time <laughs> <laughs> were you a boy scout my deacon totem chip <laughs> i got my toe i got my knife taken away from me um when i was at scout camp just so everyone knows yeah i had some corners <laughs> cut off of my my chip but never got anything taken away Man, y'all seem like some real ballers out there. <laughs> hey, I had no clue. I didn't no want to mess with you was. guys. Actually, I was in Boy Scouts too. I was Adventure Crew, so I was oh, very cool. The PSA. Nice. <laughs> oh, so there you That's go. awesome. Well, I didn't know what a totem chip was, and then um, I got caught doing something at Scout Camp, and the guy's like, "Give me your totem chip," and I'm like, "What is that?" And he's like. You're gonna earn a totem chip, and then I'm gonna take a corner off of it. And I'm like, I still don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I had almost the exact same experience where I was I was cutting, somebody was in my blood circle, another leader from a different crew came up and they were like, What are you doing? You're breaking the rules. And I'm like, Rules? What are there are rules for this? <laughs> Just cuts all over your hand. What rules? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, I guess the moral of the story, we were all Boy Scouts, so that's cool. So we got some <laughs> yeah. extra cred going for it. Is it though? Was it cool? <laughs> Is it I don't know. <laughs> okay. Raise your hand if you liked Boy Scouts. I don't see any hands. Oh wait, we're only audio. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there were parts I enjoyed. There were parts I did not enjoy. The Venture Crew was actually really dope, but... Scout camp on the coast was awesome. Oh, yeah. I feel like as an adult, I would love to go to scout camp. As a kid, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you guys are reliving those scout camp experiences, getting a fire started, getting all cold. It's like the wilderness survival merit badge right now. Um, Yeah. You guys managed to get a fire going, get everybody warmed up. Um, And uh, let's see. Uh, How are you guys going to do this night then? Well, I can keep watch for for the entire night, and if anyone wants to join me, they're welcome to. I'll, I'll take first watch with you, yes. Uh, I need you guys to make a survival check or a perception check with advantage. One of you make the roll, and then we'll see. Um, everybody else is going to sleep, I guess. I'm going to guess that Ebby has the higher score, so Pine will be assisting Ebby. Alrighty, I'll, I'm going to do my my survival is better than my perception, so I'm going to go ahead and do that roll. With advantage, a 13, I think. That... Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Okay. Yeah, I think it looks like a 13 to me as well. Um, as you are sitting there under the roof of this shrine, uh, it seems like a, a peaceful night. Um, the fire is crackling. You kind of keep it going throughout the night. Uh, you and Pine sit there. Um, nothing seems out of the ordinary. I, the adjudicator, he seemed to know me, Ebby. He knew my reputation. He knew my name. Really? Or at least a, a title I once went by, yes. 
He seemed to be quite the swordsman, watching from afar. Yes, he was Menorese. Oh, by the way, that, that reminds me. I'm going to go ahead and pull out the satchel that I took, the ring, and I think I grabbed his dagger as well. And I'm going to show those to Pine and be like, I was able to take these off of him. Uh, once I determined that he had actually died, I figured I'll take what I can. Maybe there's something of value or use to us. And uh, I don't know if any of these things look like they may be useful to you. Let's pour over them while we watch. Can I can I make like an arcana check? Does the ring seem magical at all? I right, go ahead and make an arcana check. I rolled a fourteen for arcana. Uh yeah, it does. It's it seems like a very simple golden band. Uh, but as you look at it, as you hold it kind of in the firelight, um, you get a little bit of like a Lord of the Rings esque uh, view of some script that's written not on the outside of the band, but on the inside of the band. Um, what languages do you speak? Sylvan and Elmarian, basically. Oh, and and uh, Druidic, right? And the Druidic, yeah. So it's a it's a language you don't understand, but there's some kind of a, a fancy kind of script written on the inside of the band. Ashnaj, Rinkadum. What are you what What are you saying? <laughs> what language is that? <laughs> I believe that's the black speech of no. Um, <laughs> 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 Uh, I don't quite recognize it. Uh, does this look familiar at all to you? If it's um, if it's uh, Menorese, then I would be able to read it. But if not, I would um, I would have no it, idea. It's not Menorese. You look at it; it's not Menorese. Well, I have no idea, but it's fancy. A uh, question for you, Paul: Does this mm-hmm. look at all like the language that the book that I took from inside the the facility underneath the shrine? Is it similar to that type of language that was written in the book? No, it does not. This is okay. much more of a flowing kind of elegant script. I mean, very, very reminiscent of, you know, like the the elvish tongue in Lord of the Rings. Um, whereas the script in the book is it's a nice, tight, neat handwriting, but it's not. I mean, it's a what's what I'm looking for. It's not like an illuminated manuscript or anything like that. It is it's a it's a handwritten textbook or uh journal or um you know it's very utilitarian does that make sense okay so what you're saying is that the book is art deco and the ring is art nouveau if that's how it works then that's how it works yes sure do i get any sense of any other like magic emanating from any of the other objects like the dagger or anything else you you look at them and without a detect magic spell you can't tell you just know that the ring looks a little with the in, with the intricate writing on the inside of the band, it looks a little different than you would expect just a normal mundane ring to be. The dagger itself looks mundane, normal, um, and the jacket is an officer's jacket of the Menorese military. Um, as you look at that, you see that it does have like what's it called, epaulets, epaulets, whatever um, on it, um, little gold braids. No, not a marching band <laughs> uniform. <laughs> <laughs> but it does have like more, uh, it has fancier um, like a uh, gold weave in it in places like on the collar that is different than uh, the normal soldiers you saw walking around town. Definitely marks this out as an officer's jacket. However, you never really noticed it because the man wearing it was just, just so sloppy. So, so, um, so un, um, unsoldier-like. Got it. I, I took this from him as well. 
I honestly don't know how this could be of use to us. In my head, I, I imagine perhaps Roos putting it on and convincing some soldiers that he could get into some place where he shouldn't belong. I thought I thought that would be interesting, so I decided to take it. But I think this is good idea, as good of an idea as any. I mean, I, I don't think that I could pass as a young soldier. Yes, and I probably couldn't. Hmm. And it's probably much too small for Nari. Well, you know, with a little bit of tailoring and some adjustments, I think, you know, we could we could let it out a bit here, you know, maybe add some frills. Add some... <laughs> do you think Nari would appreciate frills? I mean, tasteful frills. Yes, yes, yes. I'm no heathen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a shame that he... It's a shame that he thought he was our enemy. I would have liked to have known more about where he came from, how he knew me. You know, indeed, honestly, I, I, I have no qualms with taking life. You know, that is part of the natural order of things. I wish I would have noticed that he was dying while I was carrying him out. Uh, perhaps I could have stabilized him. I feel like there maybe was something there, more information or something we could have learned from him. What? Well, Nobody blames you. I mean, well, obviously, it's it's our fault that he's dead. <laughs> Everyone should be blaming us. But <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody, I was going to no say, it's funny you say nobody blames me. It was Ebby's flaming spear <laughs> that killed him. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, you would defend your life and kill an enemy in combat. He was He was retreating, but only probably to come at us again. He was a formidable opponent. Um, and his, his death was unavoidable at that point. I'm just saying that it, it, it's a shame that I couldn't learn a bit more about who he was and his connection to, uh, to Menarest. Indeed. I know that they called him an adjudicator, but I'm not very familiar with what that means. Have you any idea? Well, yes, the adjudicators are very high-ranking officials in the Almerian Empire. There are... Uh, there's only a handful of them. Okay. Well, I don't know what kind of ire that may draw that we've killed one of them, but I suppose we'll find out. And Paul, I was just assuming that I knew that because you, you in different stories, yeah. you had said, basically mentioned as much, and so I'm assuming that's a lot, some of that is general knowledge. Right, right. And you guys know that he commanded respect among everybody. Um, Except for, I guess, you guys didn't really see his interactions with the Chancellor. That was more behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, he's, he was definitely seemed to be in charge of all these soldiers. So, And, and the, just the name Adjudicator is, is it's different than, <clears throat> excuse me, it's different than you had heard from, you know, in, in other places, other military ranks. So you knew that it was something different, something um, kind of above and beyond. Okay, so there goes First Watch. Did, did Ebby want to try to do anything with that ring? Um, Yeah, I mean, if I can, like, attune to it or figure out what it does, that'd be great. And I'll take a look at the dagger at the same time. Okay. So, um, uh, Pine, during your two hours of chatting with Ebby and uh, everything, you you attune to this dagger and you now have a dagger. Uh, Ebby, as you... <laughs> <laughs> Ebby, as you um, look at this ring and you... You, you, you try it on, you wear it for a little bit. Um, you, um, you actually now have a, a ring of protection plus one. 
Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, so that raises your AC by one. It also gives you plus one to all your saves. Uh, behind the scene, I had a different idea for this ring, um, which would have been kind of fun, but also a pain in the butt. Um, there's a ring called the Ring of Mind Shielding. And if you are killed while you wear the ring, your soul can enter the ring and you can speak telepathically to whoever wears it next. And I had this image of Chancellor or Adjudicator Rolf just calling you, you son of a bitch, you killed me, like over and over all the time. Just harassing you over and over and over. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I, that, it's a pretty powerful item. So I think the Ring of Protection plus one, I think, is, is, uh, but that does take an attunement. So that will be one of your attuned magical items. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, who wants to take second watch? Nari will take the second watch. All right. Why don't you guys do another survival check or perception check with advantage? And as they're, as they're switching spots, uh, Pine will say, Nori, how do you feel about frills on your clothing? Frills? <laughs> do I look like I would want frills on my clothing? Exactly. Tasteful frills, though. Tasteful. Point Pine. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, Nari, how good is your perception or survival skills? Uh, perception is plus six, survival is plus four. Nice. Uh, why don't you take advantage on this next roll? All right, Nari rolled a 15. Okay. You guys are sitting there. You guys can have any kind of conversation that you want, but as you're, as you're kind of looking out, uh, you know that where you're at in the shrine, um, somewhere to the east of you uh, is the Fallen Heaven Cave. Um, that as you go down the stairs underneath this tree and you follow the cave system, um, eventually you'll come back up to the east in the Fallen Heaven Cave. Um, as you glance in that direction, uh, Nari, you and and uh, and Ebby, both at the same time, you notice um, like a, uh, it's not like they're, like a flock of, of uh, ravens comes uh, flying out of the of the sky from the east and heading to the west. It's not like they got scared out of the trees here nearby, but they are just kind of relocating from east and heading this way towards you. Um, Abby, you know that that's not necessarily natural behavior. Um, something must have startled them out of their roost, um, uh, and they are seeking, um, you know, a, a more quiet place to to uh, to do their hunting and to to set up their their nests and things. Here's a here's a question for you. Um, are they squawking or cawing? Can I understand what they're saying? Uh, yeah, they yeah they are squawking and cawing. Um, uh, silently. I mean, you know that. I mean, ravens and crows are you know active during the day. I imagine that they're somewhat active at night. But that's a. Uh, uh, I, I I'm not an. What's the word for a bird lover? Uh, I'm not Orth a bird lover. Orthologist. <laughs> Uh, or an, or an orthophile, an orthophile. <laughs> is, that, is that somebody that loves orthodontists, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, they they are kind of moving quietly. You can sense from their cawing. You sense irritation. You sense fear. Um, and you hear them cawing. Uh, and and you just you know the 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 tenor of their of their squawks. 
um, and you, it, it is um, men, many men, um, uh, and things saying like uh, uh, their their noise uh, chases away uh, our prey, that kind of thing, as they as they head to the west. Nari, it seems like that flock of birds. I could I could hear them. It sounds like the imperial forces are moving through the woodland, just over there to the east. You can hear them. I, I mean, I, crows are smart birds, but do you hear their thoughts? Not quite their thoughts. I, I've spent enough time in the woods that you begin to decipher the differences between a caw like this, you know, like a caw, versus a caw that's more of like a caw, you know. And it, the little nuance tells you exactly what it is that they're trying to say. And, and you can tell sometimes even what type of predator, you know, is it a caw or a caw, where it goes up a little bit versus a little bit down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I muted myself. I was afraid I was going to be the only one laughing. Oh, my gosh. That was fantastic. So, so we need now a Raven dictionary of all of these Ebby sounds. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that to me again. Let me write this down. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, with the up on the, in the emphasis, the tilde over the middle one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so great. All right. Okay, so second watch continues on uh, for a few hours, and then it is time to uh, switch out and pull Roos up. All right. Roos wakes up. I envision him having taken off his boots and socks and put them by the fire to, to get dry and warm. So he'll, he'll get up and start putting his socks and shoes back on. Roos, I wanted to show you something. I'm going to pull out Adjudicator Rolf's jacket. I took this from him after I realized he had passed. I'm not sure if it's going to be useful at all, but something told me that if we ever got in a situation where one of us had to pretend to be an officer, this may be of use and you may be able to pull it off better than any one of us. Yeah, I, I guess I'm about the right age and, and I could I could pass for, for an officer. I'm not very good at talking to people or lying to people. So I, I think they'd see through me pretty quickly. Yes, well, it clashes with my skin tone. So, you know, I'm not going to wear something so tacky. <laughs> no, I think we should keep it though. I think it's a good idea. So I'll Ebby will hand that over to Roos. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it and fold it up and stick it in my, my backpack. That's awesome. I'm not very good at talking to people or lying to people or interacting with people or people. I like that. <laughs> uh, all right. You did such yeah, a the... good job back in Tabory though. I have like a plus two on like all of those. And so there's no reason that I should have done well at any of that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, the rest of the night goes on. Um, it, it passes. And then um, as you uh, as the sun comes up, you actually the sky has cleared. It's another going to be another crisp, bright, cold day here on the mountain. Um, everybody wakes up. The fire um, is still going. You can put it out whenever you want to. But. It looks like it's uh, about time to open up this tree and head on down. All right. As the sun comes up and it is morning, uh, you guys, you pushed yourselves pretty hard yesterday. So I'm going to need everyone to make a constitution saving throw. 
difficulty 12. And if you fail, you gain one level of exhaustion. Ooh, I got a 20. And that time that is my roll. Woohoo! Abby got a 23. Roos got a 21. Sorry, I got a six. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so as you guys wake up, Nari, you just, you feel like, you know, you didn't quite get a good good sleep last night. It was um, not so much that, like, you wore yourself out, but I think you were you were just more worried about everybody else. Um, this is kind of your, your domain, your childhood. And so maybe you were, like, extra cautious and worrying for everybody else. Does that make sense? I think I was really busy practicing those crow noises, but little column A, little column B. <laughs> Plus, you had to interrupt your sleep to practice crow noises. <laughs> you, you, every time you closed your eyes, you hear a caw, 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 caw. It about food, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But um, other than that, it's morning time. So, um, Nara, you have one level of exhaustion, and the tree is before you. Stand back, everyone. I have this. And I'll go push that branch and and effortlessly push that smooth operating... Smooth operating. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, man. Smooth uh, operator. Yep. Yeah, uh, the, the, the smooth mechanism to open up that door. Fantastic. Yeah, you, you pull down on the branch like you did before. Um, you, you kind of feel that little click, the branch stays down. And then as you push the tree, the whole thing slides over, uh, very smoothly. And you can see the staircase descending down into darkness again. Shall we take the same order? I'll lead and then, um, Abby will take up the rear. Yes, I'm ready for that. Yeah, sounds good. Yes, can I, I borrow someone's crystal again, since I can't see in the dark? Of course. So Roos will pull out two crystals and light them up and hand one to Nari. Thanks, Roos. That's the light spell, correct? Yeah, it's the light spell. You head back down the stairs. It seems like only yesterday, and yet it also seems like months ago that you came down this very staircase uh, as it spirals down, getting darker and darker. Um, the last one through, Ebby, last time you pulled on a little lever and pulled and it pulled the tree back in place. Are you going to do that again? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. As you do, the tree slides back over and latches into place. And it is dark down here, except for the, the light emanating from Roos and Nari and the crystals that they've got. Uh, this time, heading down the stairs, Pine, are you guys trying to go silently or are you guys just stomping down the stairs? I think that Pine would still be uneasy. I think we should probably, yeah, try to be quiet. Okay, and move move carefully and quietly. Why don't you make a, here's what we'll do. We'll just have you guys make a stealth check now, and we'll just use that for the whole time you guys are in this cave. Okay. So why don't we do, yeah. Okay, so uh, Pine rolled a 24. Natural 20. Oh, fantastic. Nice. <laughs> Roos got a 23. Nari rolled a 6. Ebby rolled an 8. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So the first two are like super quiet and the last two are like like uh Nari's just kind of <sighs> like breathing heavily a little bit and um Ebby, you just keep 
clanking things as you're walking down. You keep bumping your elbow against stone or whatever, and it keeps making this little cling cling um, Oop, as you guys sorry. are descending the stairs. Oh, you got sorry the, you about got that. The new ring. You got the new ring, so you're constantly clicking it on things. Oop, my bad, everyone. <laughs> oh, sorry about that one. Oh. Sorry, guys. Oh. <laughs> the, the bumping isn't even the loud part. It's you apologizing repeatedly <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> okay, but before you know it, Pine, you actually, not before you know it, you um, you are aware of it this time. You are careful not to step in the water at the bottom of the steps. Um, after you descend these steps about 10 minutes, you come to the ledge and you remember a little hop, skip, and a jump to get across into the hallway. Um, this time you guys know where the stones are. We'll say you get across into the hallway, no problem. But I um, wanted to see Ebby do another front flip. Ebby, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to try to do a front flip, I'll let you do an acrobatics check and see if you can do a front flip. A 13 on an attempted front flip. You um you don't get wet, but you kind of land flat on your, flat on your back. <laughs> uh, it's all good though. You don't Graceful, hurt yourself you... like an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys are all in this hallway as you are standing in this wide like 15 foot wide hallway um you can see down at the at the east end of the hallway the doors that you opened a week ago are still open you see a gentle light emanating from the floor tiles in the middle of the um of the octagonal room as you recall just a quick recap the octagonal room in the in uh, at the end of the hall has some floor tiles uh, that kind of go in a, a circular shape around the center. And the order uh, starting from 12 o'clock is red, orange, yellow, green, light blue, dark blue, purple, and then white. Um, they give off a, a slight glow. Last time you were in here, nobody wanted to step on those tiles. And in that room, there were two alcoves, one straight to the east with a statue uh, of a some kind of a bird creature or deity with its hands outstretched that had uh, gems in its hand or uh, crystals in its hand. And then straight to the south, there was another statue that looked somewhat like Ebby that you ended up depositing those crystals in and opened up a secret door. So just so everyone knows where we're at again. Okay, uh, Pine will head into the room. Again, careful yeah. not to touch the tiles, but he didn't spend a lot of time ex um, examining them last time. So I think this mm -hmm. time Pine will... Um, Pay a little bit closer attention to the glowing floor tiles. Okay. Why don't you make a uh, an investigation or a perception check? Okay, I rolled a five perception. You don't understand crystal tech. You don't know why these are glowing, but they're glowing. Okay. I think Ebby, as he's walking up to it and looking at the mosaic on the floor, I think he's going to pull out the uh, crystal pizza shield thing. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, just kind of like comparing the the pattern of the colors, um, the crystals itself, maybe seeing if there's any kind of a reaction, like if the glowing intensifies or if there's anything like that. Yeah, there's a space in the middle. Is there like a would it look like it would fit there in the in the middle of that circle? So, yeah, in the middle of the circle, there is like a a, a blank tile. Um, it looks like the the crystal shield crystal pizza shield might fit in that spot it's, there's no like necessarily like attachment or anything no niche or or uh clasp to put it in uh but it would sit there and abby as you're looking at it you see that the pattern is the same if you were to put it in the middle and line it up right the red 
wedge would point right to the red tile and orange straight to the orange tile. So, I mean, yes, that is that is definitely a possibility. I think I think Ebby's going to give that a shot. Okay. All right. So here, um, as you step on the tile closest to you is the purple tile. I'm going to need you to make a. Um, I'm just kidding. No, you step on the purple tile. You. <laughs> <laughs> That's you're cold as ice, man. Cold <laughs> as ice. I know we avoided you... them the first time, and now you're getting us on the second time around. Oh gosh. Um, you set the crystal shield there in the middle, and you kind of wiggle it a little bit just so it's pointed just right. Um, the shield is giving off just the slightest bit of a glow, uh, not enough to light up the room, but the floor tiles themselves, they do light up the room a little bit. Um, and, and you set it there in the middle and you step back and, um, nothing, nothing happens. Fascinating. I thought maybe that would unlock something or, or, I don't know, react in some way. Maybe there's something about it in that book you have. I'll, I'll pull out the book. Do I see and like kind of flip through the pages? gently and uh do i see anything like diagrams of the crystals or you know anything like that why don't you do two things i want you to make a perception check as well as an investigation check okay here is the perception roll i rolled an 11 and investigation is an 18 okay as you are flipping to the book um your perception check of 11 there's something not quite right about the paper. You can't quite put your finger on it, but there's just something, it just doesn't feel like other books that you've lifted and and, and hefted. Um, you can't quite put your finger on it though, what the difference is. But um, as you're looking through the book, um, like 18 uh, investigation, you do find some diagrams and you do find um, not necessarily a diagram of the pizza crystal shield, but you do see like a pattern of um, of crystals, and it's actually colored in in colored ink. And you do see that same um, pattern uh, in um, in a circle: red, orange, yellow, green, light blue, dark blue, purple, and white. But you can't understand the writing around it. Got it, Roos. I know that you're able to understand different languages with that scarf of yours. Does it help with reading? Unfortunately, it doesn't. It's mm. a tool I use when I'm stalking people. Mm. A shame. I'd love to find someone who can read that, who can interpret it. Ebby's going to pick back up the stuff and put it back into his... He'll put the book away, but I think he's just going to kind of carry the the crystal disc under his arm just so he can kind of observe it oh, as he's call walking. it what it is jordan call it what it is <laughs> it's the crystal pizza shield thing which <laughs> we could lovingly call the cpst from now on if we want to you know give it a cool fun acronym or something um <laughs> this is coming from the accountant where my whole world is filled with fun acronyms um gosh <laughs> <laughs> all right Okay. But yeah, I just want to uh, check to see if it reacts or anything as we're walking through this place again. Okay. Um, as you are walking through, you're just going to hold it under your arm, kind of, right? That's what I'm, I'm gathering? Yeah. Okay. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, so where to next? I have, a, I have a thought. And maybe it's just because I absolutely adore secret passages and puzzles. What would happen if we took the crystals from the Ebby statue and put them back in the original statue? 
Could it possibly open another door? That was the position we found him in. Well, it's true, but maybe, I don't don't know. (laughs) Wouldn't hurt to try, I guess. It only takes a couple seconds. This is true. Here's a question. Are you able to grab, are any of you able to grab the crystals this time around? Fine, I'll try. You bend over to grab a crystal and you pull on it and it feels like it is literally a part of the statue. Hello. Nope. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and move them again. Is this thinking out loud with you all here? I don't know about my origin. I don't know where I come from. I don't know if I'm a construct of the Empire. It seems like I'm getting a, a sense that perhaps I'm just very, very old. <laughs> Does anyone else feel that way? I feel very old every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just the two of you. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm speaking, speaking for Nari when she doesn't when she agrees, but I, I think you two are the only old ones here. Yeah, Abby, I if, think if that you, might be the case. Ebby, if you're as old as this room, you're extremely well preserved. Oh, well, flattery will get you everywhere, Pine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should I should only hope to look as good as you when I become that old. <laughs> well, you know, plenty of rest, lots of water. I'm going to go up and grab the crystals uh, if I can. Yeah, you you grab a handful of crystals, and as you do, the hands on the statue raise up just a little bit, and the wall closes up. The uh, the secret passage that was open closes up. And I'll I'll walk them back over to the other statue and alcove that's on the the other side of the rectangular room. And Pine will be in there waiting with bated breath, watching for (laughs) any doors to open up. Okay, so Ebby, you take all these crystals over and you put them in the hands of the statue. Both of you who are in that room uh, make a perception check. Uh, Nari, what are you doing? I will go with them and just kind of see what's going on. I'm not much use, though, because I'm really tired. Okay. Pine Pine rolled an 18 perception. Yep, and Ebby got a 14. Okay. Um. Uh, Ebby, you're putting all these crystals carefully in these hands, just trying to make sure every single one goes in, that not a single one falls off. Pine, as you watch him put the crystals into the hands of this statue, you notice one very big difference. These hands do not move in the slightest. They just stay still. Damn it. There's no lowering of the hands like the other statue. Oh, I guess it was worth a try, damn it. Hey, it couldn't hurt. I'll, I'll take the crystals back and we'll go back to the other statue then okay as they come back in the room i've got bruce has got Gigi out in his hand and i'm just kind of like talking to her telling her um asking her to to go peek around the corner up here make sure that there's no spiders before i go and walk in myself okay you uh she looks at you and she does that whole like lizard lick her eyeball thing um and you can tell that she is um uneasy but she'll do it cool and she floats off down the hallway. Um, as she gets all the way down the hallway, she you can just barely at the edge of your crystal light, you can see her land. And um, she's like right on the edge. Because if you recall, the end of this hallway, um, there's a landing. It's like it like is a landing. And then down below, there's a like a, a pool of water. And that's where the spiders attacked you. And then even um, further south, there's another there's another staircase going down leading to a hallway heading back to the east. 
And so she is stopped kind of at the landing and she glances over the edge and she looks back at you and you can see just this very imperceptible uh, shake of her head, no. All right, I'll call her back to me and uh, I'll motion everybody. Gigi says the coast is clear, no spiders this time. Nari will audibly sigh in relief. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you guys all start moving down this narrow hallway? Yeah, I guess Pine will lead the way again. Okay. We want to keep that same marching order. Yeah, let's keep the same marching order. You get back to this very familiar room. Uh, you can still see some of these spider webs. It's, a lot of the spider webs have started to like um, break, and they're kind of... Uh, um, they're not really like blowing with the wind because there's not really any really perceptible wind, but you can see them kind of moving on the air. Uh, the spider webs that are in here are not being kept up by any kind of spider. And so, Abby, instantly you would know, okay, there's no new spiders in this room at all. I'll, I'll, um, I'll let everybody know that and just say, like, no one's maintaining these spider webs. They're decaying, much like their their former owners are decaying. Oh, yeah, there's probably rotten spider corpses yeah. in here, huh? <laughs> As Abby says that, Roos is, like, stepping over a spider. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. You still see the exoskeletons here. They're, like, curling up. Um, and like, they're starting to get really brittle, um, which is interesting because their, their carapace was pretty hardy. Um, you guys head down the, uh, landing down, down into the kind of the area that had the pool. And as you head down to the, the stairway, uh, that leads back to the hallway heading to the, um, east, I'm going to have pine and ebby. You guys have the longest bit of dark vision. Why don't you guys both make perception checks? Uh, let's see here. I think we need to. Uh, we need to do it with disadvantage for both of you. Okay. All right. With disadvantage, Pine rolled a six. Evie rolled a 10 with disadvantage. Okay. All right. As you guys recall, before you head that way, this hallway leads to some kind of a study, which is where Ebby found the book where um, uh, there were some scrolls and there were also some crystals that you guys swiped. I think it was like 20 some odd gold worth of crystals. Um, and then um, the room beyond is where you fought the the giant construct as well as well as where you found the crystal pizza shield. Okay. But you guys are still at the base of the landing below the pool. I guess, you know, continuing to move stealthily into the room. Okay. And it's Pine, Roos, Nari, and then Ebby bringing up the rear. As you guys move along, at some point, Pine, there is a point where you are in the study. Pine and uh, Ebby, at this point, you can't help but notice as you walk into the the study where you found the book, you found the crystals, you look through the other door and you see a figure standing in the room where you fought the giant construct. And it looks metallic in nature. In fact, it looks like a deacon. It looks like a deacon that you up until recently would have seen in Tabory. Um, and that's what you uh, notice from this distance. Uh, it looks like nothing has noticed you yet. Um, but there is a deacon down here. Actually, Pine, you see two deacons. <laughs> Sorry, now that I see what you can actually see, you see two deacons. Yeah. 
So I will I will quietly hush everybody behind me and have everybody stop. And I'll say, um, I see two deacons in the other room. You have to proceed cautiously. I fear that the Empire has found the, the tunnel in Fallen Heaven's cave. All right. Give me a sec. I'm going to have Gigi go and take a better look. And then she'll she'll give us a better view of, of what's going on over there. And I'll pull, Roos will pull Gigi out of his pocket and uh, motion for her to, to fly down the hallway. Okay. Um, why don't you have Gigi make a stealth check? Gigi got an eight on her stealth. Okay. So um, Gigi flies down the, um, through the study to the doorway, stops at the doorway and takes a peek inside. Uh, does Gigi have dark vision? Gigi has 30 feet of dark vision. Okay. So as Gigi kind of gets to the edge of the door, she, she sticks to the edge of the doorway that's still open from when you guys opened it a week ago and peeks inside and inside, um, Roos, you, you, uh, I don't know how you know this, but you just, you have a special connection with Gigi at this point. Um, Gigi sees that there are actually four deacons down here. And she sees an older man in a nice jacket, one sleeve pinned up. Uh, she sees Chancellor Ramsey down here. He appears to be looking at the apparatus where the crystal pizza shield was uh, before you guys took it. Um, and as he is looking at the apparatus, the deacon closest to Gigi glances over and spots Gigi. So I'm going to give you a chance to have Gigi do whatever Gigi is going to do. So Gigi will camouflage and fly back to me. Okay. Uh, as Gigi flies back to you, you hear a voice. It is similar to Ebby's voice. Um, it's it's at a distance from you guys, but it, it's similar to Ebby's voice with less inflection, less humanity behind it but it says sir there appears to be someone down here as they're talking i'll whisper to the group i'll say it appears to be four deacons and chancellor ramsey they're looking at the the little shrine where we got that pizza shield did we all hear the voice the robot voice um, actually, only Roos did because uh, uh, Gigi was still close enough at the time. Why doesn't everyone make uh, or make a group perception check? One person make it with advantage. Not Roos. Not Pine. Yeah, normally I'd be good, but I'm exhausted. So y'all, y'all are pussies. I, I'll go ahead and make the roll then. Okay. I got a not natural 20. Yeah, a dirty 20. Okay, so um, as you guys are all like, oh, crap, there's something down here. Um, you can hear a voice. It's quiet. It's at a distance, but it, you hear a voice say, well, go and see what it is. And you start to hear uh, feet heading towards you. That's my sound of mechanical feet walking towards you. So here's what I need to do. I need to know what you guys are going to do if we're going to roll initiative or not. Roos is going to hide. He's going to tuck I into... Think we should... Yeah. 
try to hide. Should we yes. lure them back into the spider room? I think we should just try to hide. Okay. There's lots of places to hide in this room. There's under desks. There's, um, you know, there's some, um, uh, quite a few desks, actually. It looks like there's uh, like four or five desks. You can hide behind a bookshelf, that kind of thing. Um, there's carpets on the floor if you're really bad at hiding. So why doesn't everybody make an individual stealth check to see about how well you can hide? Okay, Pine is going to hide behind this desk in the northeast corner of the room. Before before Ebby goes to do that, I'm going to reach out and touch Nari and give her nature's blessing. So she has ah. um, a plus D4 to her next ability check. Fantastic. Thanks, dude. Pine rolled a 23 stealth. Okay. You uh, tuck right in behind that uh, desk. And just with the, you know, the lack of light and everything in here, you are fairly certain you're really well hidden. Roos got a 23 in stealth. And he just kind of ducked into a corner and slid by one of the bookcases that was on the south side of the room. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, with Evie's help, Nari rolled a 10. Um, so she's going to try to kind of crouch behind this this desk over here, but it's a little awkward because she's kind of big. She is kind of big. I imagine you kind of get under the desk and you're trying to hide under the desk, but it literally is lifted up on your shoulders, you know, so it's kind of like it. swaying back and forth. <laughs> All right, Ebby, how did you do? Ebby rolled a 12. He's also kind of crouched underneath the other desk that's up near the northern end of the room. Okay, well, let's see what comes up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is fantastic. The you dice guys. gods have so, smiled upon us. These, so two of these deacons come wandering into the room and they are looking left and looking right and they walk right past you. Um, one of the things you guys notice is that they are both holding, um, or one of them is holding, the one in the front is actually hold. he pulls out and pulls out this crystal that is giving off light. It's like a torch, but it's actually a crystal. Um, it appears that these ones don't see in the dark like Ebby does. And uh, they continue to walk past you. Are they are they wielding halberds like the ones in Tabri? They, they are wielding halberds, yes. As soon as they cross past Roos, just at the doorway to this this library, Mm-hmm. Roos is going to crack a sleep crystal and throw it at them. Okay. Let's see. That is a great idea. Um, let's see how that goes. Why don't you make your roll? So Roos got 18 on the 5d8. All right. Now, Ebby, you would know this. Do they get any kind of uh, bonus against putting getting put to sleep? Um, no, I don't think so. Let me check here. Integrated protection. Um, you have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned and you have resistance to poison damage. You do not need to eat, drink or breathe. You are immune to disease. You don't need to sleep and magic can't put you to sleep. Okay. Okay. So the crystal cracks right between the two of them and this... This like mist, like this little like sandy mist, like the Sandman kind of pops out and it, it kind of coats them, but it does not do anything. Um, let's see if they even realize what you did. Um, the first one keeps marching on and the second one stops and turns around 
and looks back into the room. Um, what are you guys going to do? I think Nari is going to really quickly see if she can throw a hand axe at him and, and just get him. Okay. Why don't you make an attack? Okay. Well, I rolled 18 to hit. All right. So you, uh, you rolled an 18 to hit. That's fantastic. Why don't you roll some damage? Nice. All right. So I rolled seven damage. All right. That is a very good hit. It is not enough to take him down. And now what I'm going to need from everybody is we're going to do initiative. As the axe goes flying and hits the hits the deacon, he whips around. You see that like part oh, wait, of his... Uh, tell, sorry, do you want to tell our, our initiative rules? Yeah, tell me your initiative rules. Roos got a 23 for initiative. Nari got a 20. Pine got an 18. And Ebby got a 2. fantastic fantastic this axe goes flying across the room uh, end over end it hits the uh the deacon the uh the deacon that kind of lagged behind and looked back into the room at you guys hits him hard um and he turns around and as he glances into the room he just shouts out through his his vox caster thing on his on his face he says intruders intruders and we are in initiative it is ruse's turn Roos is gonna run up to the up to the deacon that that Nari just threw the axe at and strike with his with uh, his short sword. I rolled a ten to hit. That is a miss. Okay, then he'll he'll follow up with his dagger. Okay. Rolled a thirteen to hit with the dagger. That is also a miss. It just kind of okay. clinks off some of the extra plating that he has uh, bolted onto his body. And uh, Nari, your initiative is 20 as well. But before you get a chance to do anything, something else happens. But it's in the other room. I don't know if anyone can actually see what happens. Um, Actually, Nari, as you are looking to your left and seeing Roos confronting this deacon, you glance back through the doorway uh, to where the other deacons are, and you can see... Uh, Chancellor Ramsey standing next to one of them. He glances into the room where you are, and then he points at the one standing right next to him. And you see this deacon underneath his uh, his plates. You see it start to glow red, like there is red light coming out from underneath his armor plating. This is your first layer action of the campaign. All right, Nari, it is your turn. Okay, I'm going to shout that we got some trouble back here. Um, And then I think I'm going to run towards the deacon that was glowing. Okay. And I can can get there, right? I think you can get, yeah, you can get there in one hit, in one turn. Yeah. Oh, there's, okay. Um, And then, yeah, I'm going to swing at him with my great axe. Okay. That is a 22 to hit. That is most definitely a hit. Who and then nine damage. Nine damage. Nice hit. Um, you, as you hit him, you see like um, the red glow. You see it's not actually like glow. You see like the metal plating, uh, like not the metal plating, but the metal uh, substructure of this deacon is starting to glow like red hot. Um, 
And uh, as you hit him, you see some of the plates go flying off and you can now see like his skeleton, his you know, metallic skeleton underneath. It looks a lot more like Ebby. Um, it's glowing red hot with heat. Okay. Pine, you're up. Okay, so seeing Nari run into the other room and seeing that uh, uh, Roos and Ebier are to my uh, to the west, uh, where the other two deacons are, uh, Pine will say, um, uh, "To the to the crystal room." Uh, what, what what would he call it? The, pe- the I, pizza. I don't want to call it the, the pizza, pizza parlor. <laughs> to the pizza parlor. Um, no, uh, so uh, into the other room. Don't let them spread us too thin. And then um, he will uh, follow Nari and and see what's in that room. So I move there. Ooh. Uh, he's got 15 more feet of movement once he's in the room and sees what's going on in there. Um, and I think he's going to... Let's see if he can make it. Uh, yeah, make it just up to Chancellor um, uh, Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to do a bonus action. He will uh, take the. Um, let's see. I'm looking through my abilities. How about let's do the Sword of Inferno's technique? So um, Pine will say, "The craven fall and are consumed." Sword of Inferno's. Um, and so when I strike, we'll see if I can hit him first and then we'll see what happens. All right. So swing with my sweet saber, a 12 to hit, but I'm going to go ahead. Hey, hey, hold up. I didn't say anything. (laughs) I heard you. I heard your your mouth smack ready to tell me that I missed. Um, I'm going to go ahead and use my, my ability. The, um, uh, I'm going to use my disciplined focus, uh, to give myself the, uh, um, Looking for the name of it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm going to use my discipline focus, a targeted strike, to add ten to that. So that's a twenty-two to hit. Twenty-two. That does hit. Yes, twenty-two hits. Okay. So I will uh, initially do my my initial attack with just the sword. Um, what just happened? Oh, no way. Fourteen piercing damage. Okay. Uh, on top of that, the spell itself did an additional six fire damage. Oh my gosh. And then I'm going to also uh, go ahead and use my Swordmaster's Fury uh, oh my to do an additional strike for 2d8 damage. So okay. on top of that, there's another nine radiant damage. Oh my goodness. So that's 29 damage. Oh man. Get him. That is, get him. That is huge. That's two Huge of my damage. three spell slots, though. Oh, okay. my that was God. impressive, though. And that's my turn. Yeah, I, I, I hit really hard three times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then I have to take a long rest before I can do it again. <laughs> you hit Chancellor Ramsey, and he is just, uh, I mean, he is, he looks like he's hurting. Um, he looks shaken, uh, and he, he, he looks at you, um, he looks at Nari. Uh, he says, what is the meaning of this? And then you hear him mutter under his breath, after so long, why now? And then he is going to cast a spell. And let's see which spell he's going to cast. All right. He casts a spell. And uh, you're not exactly sure 
what spell it is, but dang it. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. He casts a spell, hoping to blink out of existence, and then he is still standing there. Um, so oh. <laughs> he, he has the spell blink uh, going at this moment, and then he calls back to the deacons and he says, Deacons, protect me. Do something useful for once. And then he is going to attempt to get away from you. But I have a reaction. Yes, you do. Do we both get to take an <sighs> attack of advantage? Oh, gosh. Yes, you do. I missed. Make your I rolled, like I rolled, I rolled a nine. So. All right, Nari rolled Go. a 16. Okay. <laughs> Roll some damage. <laughs> big money, big money. All right, seven to damage. Seven damage. Oh, my gosh. Did we just kill the boss? No, you did not kill the boss. No, he's still standing. Um, He is, I mean, this guy's not, I mean, obviously this guy's using magic. He's not a uh, frontline fighter, but he looks like he is, uh, he's taken some blows here in just this first round. um, And he did not blink out of existence. So that brings us then to the deacon's turn. Okay. This deacon standing next to Nari, the one that is glowing red hot. Nari, he is going to try to attack you with his halberd. So he is going to swing at you. Uh, does a 14 hit you? No, that does not hit. No, that does not hit. And then he is going to step here between Pine and Nari. And then this other deacon is going to, uh, the one that's still in the same room, he's going to come up and, and uh, confront Nari as well, but he's going to stand uh, here. Um, and he's going to try to swing at you as well. And I'm fairly certain that does not hit. A, uh, a six does not hit you. Um, no. Roos, you are uh, confronted by this deacon who you uh, you did pretty good damage to, but he is still standing. Uh, he's going to swing at you with his halberd, and he is going to miss with a six. And then the other deacon that was leaving the hallway comes rushing back over, and Roos, you're the closest thing to him. He is going to swing at you as well, and uh, does a 13 hit you? No, it doesn't. 16 okay. is Roos's AC. Lots of whiffs. Okay. Hey, Paul. Sorry, I, I missed this because his turn came right after mine. I didn't, I didn't notice it. He has to make a constitution saving throw or take that additional fire damage. Oh, so he might not have taken the fire damage? No, no. So he, took, he, took, he takes fire damage on my initial swing, and then every, he's, now, he's now on fire. <laughs> oh, so every, every round, in, until he succeeds on his constitution saving throw, he will take fire damage. Uh, what's the save? Uh, that's probably, that probably, it's a constitution saving throw, DC 13. DC 13. Okay. He does barely save with a 13. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He rolled a natural 12. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, deacons have all gone. Ebby, it is your turn. (laughs) I imagine that like, Ebby's like seeing everybody rush out of the room and throw axes and jump into the fight. And he's like, Hey, what's everybody doing? Um, he'll try to get out from underneath the desk, probably bump his head and go, Oh, sorry. And then make his way to the, uh, to this door. I think. Yeah. So we'll go to there. Um, for my bonus action, I'm going to summon my magical unicorn. 
bring out that sexy unicorn, please. Oh, I was hoping we'd see him again. <laughs> Burst into song. Oh, yeah. Always I, I want yeah, exactly. to be with you and make believe with you. I have that robot oh unicorn God. attack song stuck in my head all the time. Man. Oh, <laughs> all right. It's been so long. All right. Where do you want to put your uh, sexy unicorn? I'm going to put it. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. <laughs> kind of right there. It's it is now canon. It was referred to by the DM as the sexy unicorn. <laughs> so as you as you summon this unicorn, this this unicorn comes like it forms out of like the the green light that comes out of your body, right? That kind of how you described it. Yeah, yeah, kind, kind of, of yeah. flies like flows out like a ghost leaving my body. Right. And then you see like this like majestic unicorn. It kind of clomps in in place and it throws its head back and shakes its mane and it looks over at you, Ebby, and it kind of bows its head. Long way. It's even funnier hair. when you can look at the token. <laughs> 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 All right. Oh, that is that is a thing of beauty. Okay, cool. Um and I am going to so that's my bonus action. So with my action action. Um, 60 feet. Let me measure this out and make sure that I've got the distance. I do. Okay. I'm going to hurl a robotic ice missile at, okay. um, the chancellor, right? Chancellor Ramsey's right. Is that his name? Chancellor Ramsey. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and hurl this thing at him. And as you do, you shout, let my people go. <laughs> so it's 17 to hit that hits so that will do one piercing damage it looks like and then it will explode for 10 cold for 10 cold does he get a save for the cold uh yes yeah he needs a 14 dexterity save 14 dex save oh he got a natural 20 so he takes half that or none? Uh takes none. Okay. So he take so he took he took one damage from that spell. Take that. Ha ha. <laughs> Good job, Abby. <laughs> Crushed right. it. It was probably just a really tiny ice crystal. Nailed it. All right. Now uh this brings us back down to uh initiative one. On initiative one. Nari and Pine, you see this deacon that has been starting to glow with heat underneath his carapace and armor. He just kind of gets more and more red, brighter and brighter and brighter. And then you you almost hear him scream. You hear like a scream coming from him, but it's so quiet. You're not sure it's actually him. And suddenly he is gone. And all you see is a blast of light. And both of you need to make a constitution save. Okay. I got a five. I got a fifth, or no, I got a 15. Okay. All right. Pine, you take five damage and are pushed this way. Uh, 10 feet. Okay. You're pushed back 10 feet. Nari, you take two damage and are doing fine. And that deacon is no longer there. And that brings us back up to the top. Roos, you are confronted by two deacons in this hall by yourself. The Roos will 
glance back over his shoulder to the east and see that the rest of the party is moving that direction. And he will strike with his short sword and rolled a 12 to hit the deacon in front of him. That is a miss. He's going to... Uh, I, I was planning on disengaging, but I want to actually do something. So I'll, I'll strike with my dagger again. Okay. And that might have been... Oh, no, it was a 19. I thought it was a 20. Um, I got a 25 to hit on that one. Okay. For six damage. This is the one that you've been hitting? Yes. Okay. Yeah, as you... As you hit him, you uh, you you clang off with your short sword, and then as he kind of reflexively brings up his halberd to block it, you find with your dagger you you stab up underneath in where his ribs would be, and you you find something that's important, and it slumps over dead. Awesome, or lifeless. <laughs> Roos will disengage, or well, move move. I'm not doing the disengage action, but I'm disengaging. I'm going to run thirty feet this way. To okay. get up, up next to Evie. Okay. So I'll As take a you, strike from there. Yeah, he's going to swing at you. Does a 14 hit you? A 14 misses. Okay. All right. That brings us now to the, um, the layer action. Nari, as you are standing there, you see this deacon right in front of you. Uh, Chancellor Ramsey points at it, and it starts to glow, just like the previous one did. He starts to glow red. Uh, underneath his carapace and armor. And that is your turn, Nari. Okay, I'm going to take my great axe to that guy right in front of me who's glowing. Mm-hmm. Um, 11 to hit. That is a miss. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll still stay there, though. I don't want to disengage, so. Okay. Pine. Yes. So Pine is now far away from the action. Oh, that guy's... So there's another deacon glowing. Um, but I am quite a distance away from basically everything. Um, I think that I will attempt to close some of the distance with Chancellor Ramsey. Um, but okay. I'm going to actually come up and help Nari with this uh, with this deacon. So let's go ahead and move up there. 35 feet. And then I'll make my attack against... Uh, the deacon, the glowing deacon. Okay. And I rolled an eight. That would be a miss. Okay. That's what I got. Okay. All right. Chancellor Ramsey, it is his turn. He takes a step back towards the cave and he glances around the room to see what he can possibly do. And then, Ebby, he locks eyes with you. And he looks down at what is under your arm. And I'm going to let everyone make a perception check. Pine rolled a 13. Nari rolled a 15. Roos got a 5. Ebby rolled an 11. So, Nari, the only, you're the only one that notices. You see... Chancellor Ramsey, as he glances around the room, he glances over at Ebby, and you see that when he sees that crystal shield, his eyes go wide, and you see the corner of his mouth flicker up in a smile. And um, he points at you guys, and let me just do a quick measurement here. You guys might hate me after this. 
You jerk. <laughs> what? Do you guys know what's coming? <laughs> I think I have an idea. Oh, I think I don't think he can get Ruth. All right. He uh, right next to the spirit uh, unicorn prancing around, clomping his hooves, waving his mane. Um, you see this little beam, this little ball of red go shooting out of his finger and it stops right by the unicorn and instantly the whole area lights up. I need everyone to make a deck save. Yeah, this is what I thought. Except for Roos. Except for Roos. Roos, you are not in it. I rolled a... Pine rolled a 10. Oh, no! <laughs> Everybody <laughs> failed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Symphony of errors. Oh, my gosh. Yikes! Okay. He casts a fireball. And it deals... Oh, 30 damage. Everybody, except for Roos, takes 30 flame damage. And... <laughs> Chancellor is the Ramsey. unicorn still there giving us health, or is that completely gone too? Does the unicorn take concentration? No, it doesn't. So okay. he should yeah. still be there. And that's what the unicorn. It's it's kind of amazing. Like the fire goes around it, and it's just clomping in place and just waving its mane. It's kind of majestic looking. It would look I mean, really a lot cold. cooler if you hadn't just got blasted. I was going to say that that unicorn, that that the the majestic uh, vision of this unicorn in the ball of fire is the only thing that keeps Pine up. With one hit point. Oh my gosh. Well, here's what's going to happen. Because that deacon was also in the blast and he was glowing red, I need you to make a... Uh, you can't. It doesn't matter. If you got one hit point left. Well, I can still avoid getting pushed, potentially. Okay. So make yourself a con save. 15. Okay. You you don't get pushed and you take two damage. Make a con save, uh, Nari. Okay, you don't get pushed either, and you take two damage. I think I, I got it. I had got to do it with disadvantage, though. So I got eight. So you take four damage, and you get pushed back this way past the unicorn. Okay, how much is the unicorn giving me health wise? Nothing yet. Yeah, I have to heal you. Oh well, then I'm. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'm not doing good. I'm. I'm out of HP. Oh no! All right, so we have two people down. All right, and that brings us now. Chancellor Ramsey is expecting to disappear again, and he does not. That brings us to the deacons. There was only one deacon left, and he comes running up behind Roos. He's the one that's still in the hallway that has not been touched, that also could not hit Roos. He's going to stop a few feet back from Roos, giving a little space, and he's going to swing at you, Roos, for uh, 19. Does that hit you? 19 does hit, yes. Oh, for two damage. Ooh, man. He rolled a one. <laughs> All right. And that brings us now to Ebby's turn. Well, that was brutal. Um, okay. I am going to step a little bit into the room. Yeah, you can get right up next to Pine in one turn. No problem. You just have to walk over Nari's uh, body. <laughs> <laughs> As you Sorry. walk by your unicorn, your unicorn kind of lifts up a hoof and gives you a high five. He's rocking out to some kind of like, you know, uh, <laughs> new age, like, uh, uh, like uh, what's it called? EDM or something. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, only he can hear. I'm going to rush forward and I'm going to use 
Erdos's touch on Pine if I can get to him. Yeah, you can do that. And, you know, just kind of say, come on, back on your feet. And heal Pine for nine. And then all of us in the aura get plus four. Oh, okay. Oh. So, Pine, you're prone, and Nari is prone, too. Just just a heads up. Okay. Um, oh, goodness. I don't know that I have really anything else I can do. I'm actually... You know what? I can use my action, because... Oh, wait, no. That spell was my action. Yeah, that spell is your um, action, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so you have a bonus action if you got anything. Yeah, I'll... I can I can start to energize my fighting baton, so I'll whip that out and get that thing charged up. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> whip it out, charge it up. Okay, I'm you know. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> at least I didn't say polished rod. <laughs> <laughs> your polished rod atta- attached to your hip. Oh yeah. Uh-oh. All right. Okay, that brings so, us I'm now sorry, to... I'm sorry, Jordan. You're never going to live that down. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't. Please don't have me live that down. That's fine. Well, that brings us back to Initiative 1, where the Deacon should have exploded, but he already did. That, And now that we're back up to Roos' turn with his Initiative 23. Okay, Roos will have felt how warm the room got a minute ago and turn around and try and assess it as like as he steps into the room. So I'll come in into the room and move in about like 15, 20 feet right about there. As you move out of the threat range of that uh, Deacon, he does swing at you. Does a 16 hit you? A 16 does hit me. Okay. You're going to take, you're going to take 10 damage this time. Okay. I guess I could have done the disengage action, but whatever. I'll like glancing around the room. I'll, I can see Chancellor Ramsey, but he's on the other side of a pillar. You can see the edge of him. So he's got a little bit of cover from you. Okay. Let's see. I, I'll take another step over here next to Nari. Okay. Um, so I can see him a little better. And I'm actually going to throw a dagger, my my dagger at him from across the room. Okay. Roll to hit. I rolled a 24 to hit. That does hit. All right. So I, I rolled a 24 to hit. 1d4 plus 4. So I roll the four. It should have been it should have been eight right there. Okay. Eight damage. Oh, he is looking so bad. So bad. All right. Uh at initiative 20, you guys can't see this, but the last deacon that's still alive starts to glow red. All right. And that brings us to Nari. Okay, so I think Nari can just barely throw her hand axe to hit um What's his name over here, Roos? Chancellor Ramsey. So, or Chancellor Ramsey, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can so hit Roos if you he, want to. He's already gone. It's actually very easy to hit Roos from where you're at. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, so that's a that's a nat 20. Oh, yes. Oh, Boom, my gosh. yeah. Oh, so I think that you pop back do up. Um, and that's seven damage. And it then looks like it didn't roll. It looks like it didn't roll crit damage. So, what's your strength modifier? Three. So it would be actually it would be uh, I think it'd be eleven or uh, ten damage. Oh yeah. Your, your strength, nice. no, strength modifier. Your strength modifier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's four. It's four now because we leveled up. So it's three plus three plus four. Oh my god! So it is ten damage. Um, and then I'm also going to use my bonus action to heal myself of 
1d10 plus 4 damage because I'm not feeling really great. You know. Good round for you. Um, Pine, it is your turn. You see that Chancellor Ramsey is barely hanging on. Okay, so I will... And you can uh, see him like He's standing there. He's got a dagger sticking out of him. He is, uh, he's shaking his head like his eyes are wide. He looks like um, dumbstruck. He looks like like uh, in a panic, shaking his head, saying, no, no. How could this be? Well, he's about to look turn. up saber struck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so Pine <laughs> will stand up. Half his movement, stand up. And okay. then I believe that leaves me 15 feet to get up to where he is at. So I can just close the distance and come on, big money. Strike it with my sword. A 19 to hit. Okay. Does it hit? And that hits. Okay. I will do 12 damage. 12 and damage. I will. I don't care if he's. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use my last spell slot to do Swordmaster's Fury. Do so it. that's another 2d8 damage. Um, do you say anything when you do it? Yes, I do. Where is it? Uh, I say, I say, unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury. And do an additional 9 radiant damage. So 21 damage total. Mm-hmm. Okay. You run up to him. You strike him with your sword. He lets out this scream, and he you see with his right arm, his left arm um, ends somewhere between the elbow and the shoulder. He reaches out, and it's like he's grasping in the air towards Ebby. And he's reaching, and he's looking at Ebby, and he says, After so long, and so close, what are the chances? And then he falls to the ground dead. And we are not quite out of initiative. <laughs> I forgot there's still one deacon left. All right, it is the deacon's turn. He's going to come running in. Nari, he comes running up behind you and tries to stab you with your with his halberd. Um, and does a 11 hit you? No. Okay. All right. That brings us to Ebby's turn. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you know, Ebby, he's glowing red at the end of your turn. He's going to be gone one way or the other. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and move my unicorn as my bonus action. Uh, just a little bit over. So that way it gets all of us a little bit better. And I'm going to cast Erdos's word on Pine again. So that's seven points of healing for you, Pine. All of us get an additional four. Thank you. I mean, I, it's it's too late. I'm guessing at this point, I will have I will yell, even though it's belated, and be like, "Is there any way we can keep him alive?" So I will be honest with you. We can cut this. I was planning to not kill him, but you described it so well, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I say, so. Um, oh, I did say he fell to the ground dead. Um, okay, so well, let's let's do this. Nari, just make a Constitution save. All right, thirteen. Thirteen. You take six damage as this deacon explodes, and you do not get pushed back. And we are out of initiative. So, 
Pine, did you knock him unconscious or did you attack to kill? There are so many questions that we need answered about this shield and about this facility and about Ebby. So I think that I would have attempted to um, not kill him. I did use my Swordmaster's Fury, though, so that was more than just a melee attack. So I don't know. Maybe we need to do medicine checks on them. I don't know. What, what, what's I your think ruling? You, I, well, because with, with magic, magic generally, you can't um, you can't do um, knockout damage with magic, correct? Right. It has to be a melee attack. Right. So um, he only had five hit points left. So you hit him with magic and you hit him with enough. So I will say he is currently dying. So you guys can attempt to make a medicine check. I'm going to just roll his first death save. I'll go ahead and make a medicine check. Okay. I will help you with that. I'll, I'll roll one more time for advantage from the help. So first roll wins it. So a 21. Okay. You manage to stabilize Chancellor Ramsey. You apply pressure in certain places. You, you don't move the dagger that's sticking out of him. Um, you know, you don't want to, damage anything by pulling it out as you stabilize him you you feel his his breathing is still shallow but um starting to become more controlled the bleeding uh seems to uh you manage to kind of staunch the flow of some of the blood as it comes out of the wounds um you are here in this room that you fought the giant construct you have multiple destroyed deacons lying around and you have the chancellor of the empire chancellor ramsey unconscious at your feet and that's where we're going to stop for today as you stand over chancellor ramsey's body his unconscious body our vision backs out away up into the sky and turns south back towards tabery back towards a small house in the muds of Tabory. A large brass key rests on the table of a small hovel in the muds district of Tabory. An older woman, stooped and bent, piles the last of her belongings beside the door. Roos's mom places her hands on her hips and stretches backwards, trying to ease the cramping she feels more and more. She looks around the house, this tiny domicile that her late husband built for her small family. Old wooden floors are split and splintering now, but in her mind, she can picture the day many years ago when the last board was nailed in place. There in the corner, she can still picture her husband, his dark hair tied back at the nape of his neck, his pointed ears that she always found so exotic and exciting, and the smile on his face as he wipes his brow with the back of his forearm. She can almost hear him say in his soft, melodious voice, That's it, a floor from a lady. He jokingly bowed at that, thinking himself clever. Roos's mom smiles at the memory. Glancing up at the loft with the pallet beds crammed tight together, she can picture the small bassinet that once resided up there with the sleeping form of baby Kira, always such a pleasant child and such a headstrong youth. And in the corner against the wall, the sleeping fo- the- and in the corner against the wall, the sleeping form of the young boy Roos, always so attentive and helpful. She breathes in the air of the place, the sense of home, love, and comfort, now grown sour and stale with loneliness and quiet. She glances back at the key resting on the table, realizing that this is it, an end of an era, and a new life in a better neighborhood await her. Roos's mom casts her eyes toward the hearth, where so many meals were prepared and so many cold nights were kept at bay. Again, a vision of her late husband comes to her mind's eye. His back is to her as he pulls a stone free from the side of the fireplace. 
She hobbles over to the hearth, grasps that same stone, and wiggles it free from its position. The dust and grime of disuse make it stick, but after a few tugs, it comes out in her hands. Tucked into the space behind, right where her late husband left them, rests a stack of papers, yellowed with age, but protected in their small cubby. She pulls them out, thumbing through them for the first time in over two decades. The first page is a letter, the second contains names, and the third bears a seal and flowery script. She holds them for a minute, two, three, until she nods, her mind made up, and tosses them onto the logs in the hearth. She quickly gets a fire started, years of practice taking over. The first page begins to darken. The second, with its list of names, starts to curl. At the last minute, a look of apprehension on her face, she darts her hand into the fire and grabs the third page, the one with the official-looking seal and the elegant script. She turns her back on the burning papers, a tear in her eye, and walks over to her scant belongings piled by the door, stuffing the salvaged page in amongst her laundry. With one last look around the room, she takes a deep breath, shoulders her bag, grabs the brass key off the table, and departs her home of 30 years for the last time. So thank you, everybody, for listening. This was episode 10. I know it was a long one, but this was a great epic battle. Uh, we saw our first fireball of the adventure, and uh, it did a number on the party. It was great fun, but um, as we close out this scene, we are going to be ending what I like to think of as the prologue or chapter one of the Crystal Codex. And next time we get together uh, with the Crystal Codex, we'll be entering chapter two, kind of a new phase uh, in the adventure as things progress and the difficulty and the intrigue gets a little bit more serious. So wait, wait, if you this like wasn't you... difficult? <laughs> I, you know what? In that first round, I thought my bad guy is dead in the first round. But <laughs> the ice missile almost did it, but it was only one hit point of damage. I cannot believe how lucky he got with that. Um, uh, as in Chancellor Ramsey. Um, yeah, so so next time we get together, we will uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk with Chancellor Ramsey, uh, maybe get some more questions answered. But things are going to start progressing um, and getting maybe a little bit more difficult for everybody. So thank you for joining us as we, as we close up tonight, just, uh, if you like us, go ahead and tweet about us at, uh, what is it? Hashtag 12 sided guys. That's hashtag one, two sided guys. Um, let us know what you think, you know, like subscribe, um, give us a thumbs up, ring the bell or that, is that just YouTube? I don't know. My kids watch YouTube, but yeah, just thanks for listening. And we hope you guys have a, a great time. <laughs> have a great summer we'll see you next september <laughs> i just gotta stop talking guys all right <laughs> see you next week we'll see you guys later have a good one good night